words that you have left for us. We ask that you would move in our hearts and change our lives. Amen. Our Old Testament reading, our Hebrew scripture reading this morning, comes from the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 33, verses 7 through 11. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus have you said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Our Gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This is the word of God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. She had been an elder for several years and had even chaired one of the committees. She never missed a Sunday morning service and was always there to teach the fourth and fifth grade Sunday school class promptly at 9.45 a.m. She knew and liked everybody, and everybody knew and liked her. Except that new guy. She really didn't like him. He'd said some sort of mean things, and he didn't seem to respect her authority as a teacher and an elder. She felt strongly that someone going to church should really behave better than that. So she told the ladies in her bridge group about how rude he was and the trouble she'd had with him, but they all seemed to think that she should just keep quiet, try to get along harder. Don't make waves, they told her. She talked to her hairdresser about it, and the hairdresser was very understanding. She'd met people like him, too. They just don't get it. She said that she should give him the silent treatment and just avoid him. It was when he was nominated to serve on the session that she knew she couldn't take it anymore. 
Over the next few months, her term in session ended. She didn't return in the fall as a Sunday school teacher, and she wasn't seen on Sunday mornings very often anymore, and eventually not at all. Pretty soon, a request came in the mail from another church to transfer her membership. Nobody really knew why she left. She just faded out and was gone. Many of us have heard or even lived a story like this before. It's not a new one. The one I just told you is generic. It's made up. But I wouldn't be surprised if at least a few of you could put names or faces to some of the characters. It's happened in every church. Perhaps you even see yourself in it. Young folks today have a term now for when someone just disappears out of a relationship, be it a dating relationship or a friendship. They call it ghosting. One minute the other person is sitting next to you and they are real, and the next moment they are a ghost. They're nothing more than a memory in your life with no explanation. And this happens in churches as well. It's a classic tale of a relationship gone south and someone setting off to find greener pastures. In some cases, those greener pastures are another church. In some cases, those greener pastures are TV or internet or podcast church. Sometimes they are the pervasive philosophy of, I can be a Christian without being part of a church. Whatever the case, Jesus tells us clearly in this passage from Matthew that avoidance, running away, is not the way to handle personal conflict, and especially not in the church. Holding grudges against our brothers and sisters is not what we are called to do. Ghosting is a sin. The church is not just a voluntary club that we come and go from as we please. We're missing the point if we are too quick to go and find a better fit. Church is a fellowship of believers who are united in Christ. We are a part of a body, parts of a whole. If you cut off an arm, it hurts. And this is one of the many reasons that we can't grow as Christians if we're isolated from other Christians. Isolated physically, isolated emotionally. I am a Christian, but I don't go to a church just doesn't work. Who's going to call us out in the areas in which we are stale or just flat out wrong and hurtful? This idea of two or three gathering in God's name and God being present is important. We must be gathered not just physically, but spiritually and in relationship and community with one another. We cannot change and grow if we're unwilling to confront those places in which we need to change and grow. We can't change and grow if we don't see those places in which we need to change and grow. We need other people to help us see those places. Avoidance of conflict, refusal to deal with it or to confront it, is harmful to the entire community. Now. This is not to say that we are meant to be tattletales or gossips. My children regularly come to me with things like, Mom, he hit me, or Mom, she stole the remote control. And generally, my response, and most of my mom and dad friends would agree, is to tell them that they need to work it out on their own first. Tattling on each other is not going to help. 
And I can tell when they're purposefully trying to bait each other into getting into trouble or they're just being petty with one another. Their relationship is better when they learn how to overcome their disagreements without my intervention. It's easier to ask someone else to deal with your conflict than it is to meet it head on, on your own. And so Jesus is not telling the church here that they should tattle on each other or that they should gossip about others. He's saying, work it out first if you can. Not because this is a magic formula for conflict resolution, but because that is the loving thing to do. The very first thing to do is to approach the person who offended you with honesty, with humility, and with grace. Be upfront about how you felt when they said or did whatever hurt you. Not accusing, but honest. Be willing to admit it if it was all just a misunderstanding. Be willing to admit it if you were actually the one in the wrong. Extend the hand of forgiveness and love. Not too far after this passage, Jesus tells the disciples that the right amount of times to forgive is to forgive and then forgive more and then keep forgiving. And then he uses a ludicrously high number and says, keep forgiving. Assume the best about your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because something small, left to fester, grows with time and becomes something large. And if something starts out large and continues to fester, look out. And these wounds begin to spread and they begin to affect relationships outside of the one that was originally affected. If two of my kids are having an argument with one another that goes unresolved, I can guarantee you the third one is going to be in that in no time flat. This gnarled, chaotic mess of unresolved conflict and lack of forgiveness and grace kills churches. It destroys families. It tears apart friendships. The best friendships are the ones in which you can say, that hurt my feelings, and know that you will be received with love and grace. And isn't the church meant not to be just friends, not just friendly, but brothers and sisters, close family? How much safer should we be here? To confront those things when they are fresh, before they cause long-lasting damage. This is not an easy task, and Jesus knows it. Rarely does Jesus ever ask us to do anything easy. If this were an easy task, we would all just start with this all of the time, and Jesus never would have had to have this conversation with his disciples. But as hard as it is, Jesus tells us it is starting in this awkward and vulnerable place that will set the tone for healing and reconciliation in the relationship and in all of the relationships touched by that one and in the community that surrounds it. Now, if that is truly fruitless, if you come to the other and they aren't willing to talk or they aren't willing to admit any wrongdoing and there is no resolution, then you may need to get one or two other people involved as unbiased witnesses, not a gang of people, not the hairdresser and the bridge club and everyone under the sun. Not just the one or two people who you know are going to be on your side. But one or two people who have nothing invested emotionally 
in the situation because sometimes all it takes is another person who's not wrapped up in the emotional heat to see the situation in a clearer light. Maybe the other person was wrong. Maybe you were the one who was wrong. Maybe both of you were a little bit wrong. Either way, another person involved can be helpful. And again, there's nothing magical about this, but there is love in that vulnerable action of going to another person and saying, we need your help with this. Where are we going wrong? And after that, the purpose of going to the church is not to get the person in trouble. It is to promote growth. All through this process is opportunity for grace and for growth because the goal is healing. The goal is wholeness in our relationships with one another. If we are to grow as Christians, both individually and as a community, we have to be willing to help one another grow. And sometimes we may go to the church and find out it wasn't the other person who was in the wrong. We were. It's interesting where Jesus takes this train of thought after talking about witnesses and then church leaders. He says, if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And throughout the years in many churches, this has been interpreted as a justification for excommunication. But how did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? There is not one single example in scripture of Jesus excommunicating a pagan or a tax collector. He treated them the same way he demanded the disciples treat little children just a few verses prior to this. Let them come to me, he says. Treat them with respect and with kindness and love. Give grace. Pray for them. Don't do anything that might cause them to sin. Do everything you can to love them and teach them and bring them back into the fold, into God's desire for their life. Jesus continued to teach and to love the pagans and tax collectors, even when they clearly were not catching on very quickly. He sat with them, and he taught them, and he continued to minister to them. He saw their unique potential and the possibilities for them through his grace. Throughout this Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus laying out the foundations for what will become the church. He's just been talking to the disciples about treating all people with respect and dignity, even little children, the most vulnerable members of that society. And then he goes on to tell them that they should never cause another person to stumble in their walk of faith. Don't cause another person to sin. And here he's gone farther. And if you happen to be hurt by another person's sin, here's how to handle it. Not causing another person to sin is important. And then we move on and realize we're not even supposed to sit by and watch while another person treats the people around them sinfully or causes them some sort of hurt. This passage is not about how to follow the rules. It's not a self-help essay on how to improve relationship dynamics. It's certainly not an argument for excommunication. It's about open communication with one another. It's about maintaining a healthy church family. It's about maintaining respect and grace and love. The concern of this passage is not to ensure that the church rules will be followed to a T and to have some sort of disciplinary process 
for those who don't stay in the lines. The concern of this passage is that there will be growth in the lives of the people of the church. It is delivered in the context of not causing another to sin, in the context of treating all people, even children, with respect and dignity. It says, listen to your offender, get witnesses, have a process that is fair to all and looks out for the dignity of all the people involved. Relationships are hard. All those who are married or have been married, I'm sure, can join me in honestly saying that you have to work hard to keep that going. No friendship survives without making an effort to walk with each other honestly and to work at it. The relationships that we find in the context of church family are no different. Anytime you put a whole bunch of people in one building, you're going to have conflict and relationship dynamics. If we are to be the body of Christ, we're going to have to consider the importance of relationships in the fellowship of the church and acknowledge that they are hard work. And so with that in mind, let's reframe our opening story. She had been an elder for several years and had even chaired one of the committees. She never missed a Sunday morning service and was there faithfully to teach the fourth and fifth grade Sunday school class promptly at 9.45 a.m. She knew and liked everybody, and everybody knew and liked her, except that new guy. They had really gotten off on the wrong foot, and he had said some things that really hurt her feelings. She wanted to vent her frustrations about him to everyone she knew, but only shared them with a few close confidants her spiritual director, her husband. It was when he was nominated to serve on the session that she knew she couldn't take it anymore. One Saturday afternoon, she called him up and asked if he'd be interested in meeting her for coffee at the coffee shop down the street from the church. Her spiritual director had suggested having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with him, and she just had to do something. She had to talk to him and get everything out in the open, or she just wouldn't be able to stand being at church with him anymore let alone on the session together. When they arrived and sat down, she explained that her feelings had been hurt, and she wanted to get to know each other better so that they could serve side by side. It turns out that the new guy did actually have a deep respect and admiration for her and for her dedication to the church. He just liked to joke around with his friends, and some of his jokes, which he had thought were no big deal, had hurt her feelings because he didn't realize it was a sensitive subject for her. He apologized sincerely for hurting her feelings and promised to dial back the jokes, especially about that particular topic. She apologized for misunderstanding him and shared more of her testimony with him, and she promised to roll with the jokes a little better in the future. As they sat and they got to know each other better, they learned that they had a great deal in common and also that they had some wildly differing opinions on some other things. But in that vulnerable moment, they began to truly see one another as brother and sister in Christ. It took a little bit of give and take on both sides, especially when they disagreed on things in committee meetings. But in the end, their friendship grew, and it brought life and wisdom and spiritual growth to them and to their church. They set the example for overcoming conflict in their church, and in the months and the years to come, 
their church grew healthier than it had been in decades as it followed in their shining example of grace and forgiveness. Amen.